Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. This is episode nine, and today we're going to be talking about The Mummy, the 1999 film starring Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss. I think that's how you pronounce her name. <laughs> Tongue twister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was directed by Stephen Summers. But before we talk about that, Leslie, have you been listening to anything other than the score? Other than my uh, typical uh, Spotify uh, favorites album, no. <laughs> Well, I've actually been listening to um, the Godzilla vs. Kong uh, Junkie XL, uh, which is Tom Hulkenberg. He released two tracks. It was uh, one called Pensacola, Florida, and it was uh, Godzilla's theme. And the other one is Skull Island, which is King Kong's theme. It's fantastic to hear because he's bringing back the old Godzilla theme. You know, the the really loud brass... It was... Yeah, it was wonderful. It was great to hear it. And but uh King Kong sounds like he has a very uh regal um sounding theme to him. So I, I'm, I'm Maybe Godzilla's gonna be bad in this movie. Well the theory is uh probably by the time this episode releases the film's already come out and everything else, but the theory is that it's not Godzilla, it's Mecha Godzilla. So I'm really I'm I'm kind of hoping because that's the way the trailer's playing out that Godzilla is bad. So Oh no, not Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla's bad. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what he is. He's not good. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Nice pun there. <laughs> yeah. Um also I've been listening to the score to the video game Uncharted 4 by Henry Jackman. Yeah, I like the um the uh, music to Uncharted for the most part. Well, it was um the the first three games were by someone else, and uh, Henry Jackman, who's best known for uh, Captain America 2 and uh, 3, and also um, Captain Phillips, he did that as well. And he recently scored the uh, Tom Holland film Cherry for Apple, which was directed by the Russo brothers from the Captain America and the Avengers films. And he, he's a fantastic composer, and apparently one time in his career, he was actually going to quit composing film. It was Hans Zimmer who convinced him otherwise. He's like, hey, look, you know, give it another chance, keep trying. And I think that's when he did Captain Phillips, and he his career really took off at that point. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about The Mummy, 1999, by Jerry Goldsmith. Now... I have to go ahead and admit, and you're going to give me complete crap for this. I am not, I, I don't, how, how do I put this and be nice about it? I, I'm, Jerry Goldsmith is not one of my go-to composers. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you fail. No, no, I. I, I He's I, a great composer. He really is. He is a fantastic composer. And every time I've listened to his work, I always sit and listen and enjoy it. It's just he's not one of my go-to people, like uh, you know Hans Zimmer or or Marco Beltrami, Christopher Young, 
Graham Ravel, Michael Giacchino. It's just, when I think of Jerry Goldsmith, I think of Gremlins, Poltergeist, <laughs> and I'm just like, eh, I don't really feel like listening to that But right he now. did Mulan. He did do Mulan, and he did a fantastic job in Mulan. And also, there was another score that he did that was um, actually rejected. as the 13th Warrior. He was able to release that on a soundtrack, and no, not 13th Warrior. I am so sorry. Timeline. It was Timeline. Oh, that crappy movie. Yeah, yeah. But the score was fantastic, and Brian Tyler come in and um, redid the score. But Jerry Goldsmith was allowed to release his, you know, score. Star Trek. Yes, he did do Star Trek and Star Trek: New Generation, First Contact, in which. That is one of my favorite Star Trek films. So he's a phenomenal composer. He really, I did not say that he wasn't. He really is. He is a legend. And I mean, you just don't like him. I'm just not a huge fan. Well, maybe you need to become a fan and listen to more of his stuff, (laughs) and then maybe he'll be your go-to. So sadly, I mean that he has passed away. But I mean, like I said, he has ranked among one of the the legends that he is. I mean, he like I said, every every time I've listened to his scores, I've always enjoyed it. Every time. Yeah, he he passed away from cancer. Um, not long after he worked on the Mummy. Um, I think there was a few other things in the works before he passed away, and he just got too sick where he couldn't. Uh, Wait, you said it was work. not too long after the Mummy? Yeah, I don't think it was too long after the Mummy he passed away. I might have to look this up. <laughs> well while he's looking this up i will uh talk a little bit about the the movie you know it was released on may 7th 1999 um i was in germany at the time it was released it was a big deal i remember overseas and uh granted i didn't see it in the theater we had um a uh 2004 yeah, yeah 1999 he, he, yeah. is not that far from 2004 it's a good little ways no away. it's not Yes, it is. I'm a geologist. I look at time of eons. <laughs> Not a few <laughs> years. <laughs> oh, okay. So we're going into eons now. I'm sorry. But anyway, no, back to what I was saying. Um, I was in Germany at the time that the movie was released. So uh, we got to watch it when it was... Um, not in a theater because we only had one small theater on base. So... Um, we went and got it uh, when they released it on DVD, I think. It, of course, DVD was still in its infancy, so it might have been VHS tape, but I think it was DVD we got it on. So you saw it on DVD, but uh, I remember when I saw it, it was on VHS. It might have been VHS. I can't remember because it was the transition time between VHS and DVD. So some of the movies we got were actually on DVD, and then some of them that we bought at the time were on VHS. It was really strange time frame, <laughs> but I we have some we still have some of the old VHSs around uh, that we bought in Germany. But um, so it was released on May seventh, nineteen ninety nine, and Jerry Goldsmith not only was the composer for the score, but he was also the conductor. So he conducted the music um, for the for the movie. Now. The historical figures for the basis of the movie, uh, for example, Emotep. Emotep is a historical uh, figure, um, and he was a uh, Egyptian chancellor to the pharaoh. Um, I'm going to probably butcher this, but I think uh, <laughs> considering what I just said a few minutes ago, we're fine. <laughs> Joser, I think, was his name. Um, but for some reason throughout time, see, I love archaeology and history, but for some reason. He ended up becoming a deity, and people ended up worshiping him. 
Um, I, I wonder why. I wonder what happened there. I don't know what happened there, but the Egyptians were, uh, uh, they were, I wouldn't say arrogant people, uh, ancient Egyptians rather, but they, um, they viewed things differently because they lived on the Nile and the Nile was real right. fertile. So um, it could be that, you know, during that rain, he might have done something good because I think they said that the... Uh, the pharaoh at the time that he worked for, he was the one that created the step pyramid. Out. In so, Egypt. so the film used uh, historical some historical ne- references, some historical references, but pretty much based, you know, made up their Just own the stories. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like Anaxuna Moon, I think that's how you pronounce uh, King Tut's wife's name. And like in the second one, is uh, Nefertiti is. Um... Yeah, Nefertiti. She's also historically right. accurate. So, and Nefertiti, you know, everybody knows Nefertiti. Right. So uh, all the name, and Nefertiti is also related to King Tut. So they're all in the same family. Maybe that's the character. I, I, I could have said that yeah, name. Yeah, no, you have Nefertari and Nefertiti. Okay, and that's, well, that's accurate. I'm, I'm trying to figure out which one was in the second one. <laughs> I think she was supposed to be Nefertiti, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I've watched it. Yeah. Well, that's not the one we're talking about today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So the historical figures in there were the basis, uh, were based upon real figures. Now, uh, one of the things listening to the score, right when it starts up, it just screams Egyptian and it screams action, adventure, and fun. That was one of the things I I was really surprised by. I mean, I, I remember listening to the score, you know, watching the film, but... And it had been a long time since I listened to the score by itself. But right when it starts up, it's just, it's big, it's bold, it's right there in your face. And it, it's just, it's it's fun to listen to. And one of my one of my favorite tracks listening to was the uh, Mamaya track, uh, Attack. I, I can't really pronounce that one. <laughs> but it, it, it was um, one of these things that you mentioned, it was called, uh, it had in there, was syncopation. Yeah, it sounded syncopated to me, like a syncopated beat, which... Uh, syncopation um, for my non-music friends out there is uh, it doesn't occur on the beat itself so it's a note that occurs off beat and they typically use it to add either movement to the piece so um, the first thing I noticed when I listened to it to me it sounded syncopated granted I hadn't looked at the sheet music but uh, I felt like uh, Jerry Goldsmith used it to create that balance of running or walking or you know being adventurous and i've noticed it it, they say this a lot of time with like different composers oh that sound you know that's a goldsmith sound or that's a jacchino sound and he he does that a lot he does that syncopated motion a lot in a lot of his scores so that one piece i call it the action piece because it appears so many different times throughout the uh score watching the film but on the spotify soundtrack it was only you know in one score piece it 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 was just fun you know uh, when i sat down and listened to it granted this was one of my favorite scores uh back when it first came out and it was i did buy this on cd-rom so (laughs) cd-rom ladies and gentlemen cd excuse me i did buy this on cd (laughs) <laughs> anyway <laughs> my bad but i did buy this on cd don't laugh at me um and i i listened to it so many times so 
Uh, the first thing I noticed, uh, with the exception of the, you know, the uh, Arabic feel to it, I love that about it. But that the fact that uh, Goldsmith uses a, um, a nice combination between uh, the percussion and the brass, it has a nice brassy sound to it. Yeah, definitely. The, the brass is just big and right there. It's, it's front and center. It's the leading instrument for this entire score. Yeah, I like the brass a lot, and granted, the, the, the places where he did bring in the woodwinds um, was uh, lovely. It was a nice balance. It, it didn't uh, overwhelm uh, any of the music at all, and uh, the piece that you just mentioned uh, with that syncopated beat, he has this wonderful woodwind line that comes in um, that was... Uh, I would say it wasn't even halfway through the piece, maybe about the first quarter. Between the first quarter of the piece, this woodwind line comes in, and it just adds a nice element to that that racing feel, like they're running or racing or fighting. Um, it was a nice uh, touch, a nice embellishment uh, to that piece of music. One of the things I really liked about that one score piece I was talking about was how it just starts off with just a, you know, percussion line with like very little string orchestra. All of a sudden there's a, there's like a, I guess it's a bongo just comes in there and it's like really fast paced and it just, it's not in rhythm with the rest of it, but it just, it works and gels with everything. And that's when the syncopation comes in there. I thought it was fantastic how he just opens it up just like that. And that, that bongo, that, that run comes in there and kind of mixes things up and, and makes it more exciting. You're like, oh, okay, so what's going on here? Yeah, it, it, you know, it was real nice. And, you know, he started the score with the piece Emotep uh, on the version that we listened to. Now, there was a deluxe version of this that was released um, not too long ago um, that had some uh, missing music on it. Um, but on the version that we listened to, it, it didn't have, it wasn't the deluxe version. Right. So I don't know if the deluxe version begins with that piece called Emotep, but the, the version that we listened to, it was called Emotep and it, uh, set the motif for the, the whole score. It had like the mummy's theme, uh, which I love his theme. His theme was wonderful. What I really liked about it, how it was. It, it it comes in and all of a sudden there's like a note. It's almost like there's a note missing, but it's still in in rhythm with everything else. I thought that was fantastic. It's like dun, 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 dun. I, I, it was great how he did that. It was really nice. And um, immediately when you hear that theme, you you think of okay, this is kind of menacing sounding. And then all of a sudden you've got this adventure sound. Uh, this action adventure sound with the score. And then there was a piece called The Crypt. And that had almost elements of horror to it. That, that is one of my more favorite moments in the score. And, and how he was able to, to switch between, the, between those three different genres right there. You got the, like, the action, adventure, horror. All, you know, all in one score i thought it was great with with some comedic elements in there as well because this is you know it's more of an adventure comedy-esque film you know and there was one uh piece in there also that i was listening to and it almost reminded me of um i don't know what sound he uses i don't know if it was bells or the chimes it might have been chimes 
uh, that I heard, but it was really reminiscent of dropping of gold. It reminded me of treasure or something. And listening to yeah, it, I'm like, I you know, that. yeah, you I can't remember which track that was, and I, and I meant to write it down. Sound like you used the chimes, maybe. Um, but that's what it was reminiscent to me of was somebody dropping treasure or right. gold because it sounded like coins to me. Um, and I like that a little element too. It's just a little, you know, a little nuance that I picked up on. Yeah, it was but great. It was nice. Now, one thing I want to ask you, um, throughout the majority of the score, it, it, it was like almost every piece had a rhythm to it. It was almost, you know, it was almost in sync with, with each other until like toward the end of the score. Was it just me or did it kind of like the score just kind of started kind of going all over the place to you? I did feel that way, and I don't know if he did that because it was building up to the end. Well, because the end was that, kind of chaotic. I mean, maybe you know, that's why. Perhaps, or it could be the fact that he didn't like working on this film. Yeah, that was something we, we uh, Leslie found out. <laughs> I was not expecting to hear this when she started telling me. Jerry Goldsmith hated this movie he hated working on this movie i uh, there's no reason you know we can't really find out a reason why it was just between he had a falling out with director steven summers which is weird because they worked previously on the horror film deep rising and which you know again jerry goldsmith you know knocked it out of the park with the score so it was very uh, I, I don't know. Very surprising to hear that he hated this film so much. Yeah, I was surprised as well because the score, in my opinion, is really solid. It's a solid score. It's an amazing score. If y'all have listened to it before now, you should. Definitely. Um, it is, it's a wonderful score. And just instantly, you know, listening to it, you, you think of the Mideast. You think of action-adventure. Other, You know, you do have some of those little horror elements that he's you know, known for also mixed in there. But I was surprised when I read that and said that he really hated working on this score and that he refused to come back for the second mummy. Well, I want you want to explain why Stephen Summers got Alan Silvestri to do the mummy returns. And he continued to work with them on Van Helsing and GI Joe rise of the Cobra, which Silvestri did a, you know, a great job with the mummy returns, but when I, because after I listened to the Mummy score, I started listening to the Mummy Returns, kind of see, you know, Sylvester used any Goldsmith themes, and he didn't. Sylvester just went in and did his own thing, which, you know, I, I give him props for that. But one of the things that with with the Mummy, what made it work was Goldsmith's score. You know that that theme that he created for Emotep, I think that should have come back for the sequel, and I think that might be one of the things that kind of hurt the sequel in my I think, opinion well you know um granted we're, we're going to discuss the mummy and not the sequel but as far as the score for the sequel is concerned um i also had that on cd and it still it was not my favorite i like the first one better than the second one I, I agree but it's been a long time since i listened to that score so um i can't remember much about it other than I didn't like it as much as the first one. Well, Goldsmith actually, he was introducing some of the music to someone and he, it was, I'm, we're paraphrasing on this, but he says, here's some music from a crappy movie. And I just, I, 
it was some, I mean, there's a, like tons of reviews out there, all of, you know, of the score saying that this is some of his best work. And it's such a shame that he hated it so much because it is a wonderful score. And I also read that there was some controversy. Now, I, this might be hearsay, uh, but that the original DVDs of The Mummy had an, his isolated score on it. So if you left the, I think if you left the, um, title screen running his score played in the entirety and he didn't get paid for that i think if i read that correctly that's what that said so you know that could be another reason why he just kind of got fed up because he wasn't getting you know his right rightful dues it might might be the reason why they didn't use his themes for the sequel that he probably wouldn't let them it's quite possible but like i said i don't know how accurate or true that is but i did come across that where they said uh, that uh, he wasn't happy that the isolated score was on the DVD. That's a shame. It really is. I mean, it's a shame they were doing that to him, for one, and it's a shame that he had such a horrible time that he he didn't like it that much. Yeah, I mean, and you can't really tell, because to me, the score was, you know, it, it was a wonderful score. Right. And it really is. It really is, because, I mean, the moment it starts up, you, you automatically just get engrossed in the score as you're listening to it. And, you know, by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, wait, that's the end of it? Oh, man, I wanted to hear more. I wanted to hear more. <laughs> I, I really did. And and I don't do that very often with scores. I'll just sit there like, okay, this is really good. Or, you know, but this one, I just, I, I you know, got involved in the score. I just kept going with it. Even uh, if I, there is even a kind of like a romantic element in there. A little bit, a little just bit. A little, it's not much, but you can kind of pick up on it. It's when not listen. over the top. no. It's very subtle, but so he's got all these elements in there, which to me is uh, funny because uh, Brendan Fraser in an interview said that when they got on set and started recording, they didn't know if it was going to be an action adventure movie. They didn't know if it was going to be a horror movie. They didn't know if it was going to be a romance. They said they just went with it. Well, it was it was kind of a combination of all three, really. <laughs> and, and I don't know. I just I'm still still mind-blowing that he he hated it so much because i mean it's such a fun movie to watch and it's such a fun score to listen to i just i i can't get over that one yeah i was surprised (laughs) we we were actually sitting down watching it and that's when she she's like pause that for a second so i pause it and she started telling me this and i'm going wait what yeah (laughs) because from what i heard that jerry goldsmith is you know was a very easy to get along with person so steven summers must have been major rubbed him the wrong way god must have Uh, and i guess cause deep rising was steven summers you know more like his first film maybe that's why everything went smooth and then the second time around he got kind of the big head maybe Yeah, because sometimes attitudes change whenever you start to make money. Or, well, when you got an you know, $80 million budget, yeah, things are going to kind of change a little bit. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> but the the score, listening to on Spotify, it, it was fun. It, I we, we both highly recommend you listen to that score. I mean, just, just on its own, even not against the film. It was fun. It was fun. It was, it was you know, enjoyable from beginning to end. It just screams... You know, Arabic, Egyptian, as soon as you start listening to it, you're going to think of pyramids. Yeah, you know, and there have been several people that didn't even like the Mummy movie, but they love the score. So even if you don't like the Mummy movie, give the score a chance. You'd like it. 
Yeah, definitely. So the movie, I noticed, immediately started with the score. And here's, here's kind of a trend we're having. When movies start up with the score, and they start up with the score well, tend to have a better score. I've been noticing that lately. Yeah. We have the one exception that was Child's Play 2, according to Leslie. Yeah, please don't mention that movie. <laughs> that, that's like a bad word now around me. <laughs> oh, no, no. I like that score. <laughs> well, I do not. <laughs> but no, and, and, and it does. It immediately starts up with a score. And when we say it starts up with a score, we don't mean it's like very subtle. No, no, no. It it blasts the score right there because right that when, motif that, yeah. that first motif start playing it's amazing it was it was fantastic and you, you start hearing the uh choir come in like when they're introducing what the uh the the mummy when they're when they're doing the process of the mummification at the very beginning you start yeah. hearing that that low uh grumbling of the choir almost and it, it was creepy and that's what uh that uh, I, w- I forgot to mention when we were just discussing the score was that he had the, these voices placed throughout the score in such a way that it didn't overpower the score, but it added that uh, creepy type of dark element to it. It was nice. I, that was one of my more f- favorite moments of the score was the was the, the voices coming in, the, the choir kind of grumbling in or, you know, chanting almost. That was great. And... Again, you know, when the score starts up with the film, it, it it was one of the things that you know, you know, encapsulates you into the the film, and that was one of the things I noticed before just watching it. You know, back when I rented it on VHS, was the score right? Because I mean, it's it's big and bold. It's right there in your face again. And at the very beginning. Yeah, definitely. And so then you move to the the second score piece, and it came in when they were burying Emotep. So, you right. know, Emotep did what he did. That's when I was talking about the voices were coming mm-hmm. in a little bit. Noxuna Moon, you know, did what she did. They right. started burying Emotep, and then they started playing that second score piece. And it was a nice balance. So it had that the voices element that you just mentioned that um, – Seemed kind of creepy, but well placed, you know. And then um, the rest of the music just fell into place. Right. It, it was nice. It it wasn't uh, overbearing. It d- didn't take you know diminish the scene. Um, Every score piece, whenever it came in, it never took you out of the film, and it never beat you over the head with the theme or anything like that. The only time, the only thing that really kind of noticed with me was the syncopation track that you were talking about. It when it when it first comes in, it comes in during the um scene where the, the battle the, the battle on the boat. I can't remember the, the name of the guys that were trying to take the, the the key and the map away and they set fire to the boat and everything else. That's when you first hear that syncopation attack. Now that one did kind of come in uh I noticed a little too much. There there could have been a little bit more variation during the big action sequences because whenever there's something big happening, he brought that theme back in there. Now he would do a little bit of difference in there, but it was pretty much the same thing. Yeah, it sounded very similar to me. Um uh the the boat uh scene that you were just talking about and the scene in which they were at Hominoptera the first time. Um, that battle scene uh, where they were fighting the Magi. Yeah, because he, he uses it in there. 
Yeah, it sounded very no, similar. No, no, it wasn't the Magi. It was uh, the uh, Turegs. Well, they look like Magi to me. Yeah, they look. Well, the the Magi was there, but it was the the Turegs. I got confused. Then <laughs> they're all wearing the same thing. <laughs> they're desert people. They're desert people. <laughs> Peaceful desert people, according to Brendan Fraser's character. Well, yeah, but not the Turegs. The Turegs are bad. <laughs> I'm so confused. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the pieces sounded similar to me. And, and it and there it was using the same same rhythms in there. Same. But the rhythms allow. I mean, it matched the horses' movements. It matched the you know the the people running and fighting, and it didn't slow the scene down. Um, I can I could imagine that being done a lot differently as far as on the bad scale, and it would yeah. not line up with that that fight scene at all no it would not line up at all and it would have ended horribly but he didn't he ended up keeping the pace uh with what was going on which was nice it was and then you get the the fantasy element in there with the mummy's face appears in the sand right before brendan fraser and he's like "Ah!" And, and you know as a composer i know how hard that is to balance that you know all all of those type of elements in there, and it is it's it's uh, you know it's a hard job to do, and he he pulled it off and knocked it out of the park definitely. So um, right after that battle scene at Hominoptera, there was then they showed Evie, and Evie uh, is in the library. Okay, so this is the scene where she knocks the bookcases down. Now you told me this happened in one take. They did it in one take. Now, if you haven't seen the film, she's trying to reach over and put a book behind her on a different shelf, and she's on a ladder. And right when she's doing this, the ladder stands up, and she's kind of dancing with it, trying to balance with it. With high heels on. With high heels on. Because this is in the 30s. Yep. So she's trying to balance herself, and she's looking around, and that's when the ladder goes forward, and she knocks into the bookcases, and they go tumbling like dominoes, all in a big circle all around her. And now, when you told me that they did this one take, that is amazing. It is amazing. Can you imagine that if it did not take a one take, the reset of all those books (laughs) would have been horrible. Uh, I bet they were like, whoo, I'm glad this worked. (laughs) (laughs) I would not be happy. Like, prop person, get over here. We need you to set some books up. I would have hated to be the prop person (laughs) on that one. Set decoration, we need some help over here. You get home, what did you do today? I set books all day. (laughs) (laughs) What did you do today? Don't talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Dad, can you read me this book? No, get that book away from me. I don't want to see books ever. I don't want to see words. Anyway, we regress. Yeah. Um, so that scene is immediately followed with a prank that her brother did. And I noticed right away there was a lack of score there. Now, see, it bothered you. It, it didn't bother me. I felt like if they would have put some score there, it would have maybe built up the suspense just a little bit to show that she was really frightened. It didn't to me. So to me, it kind of fell short with that. Yet, you know, she was trying to figure out what that noise was and went in there and there was like no music. So to me, it was just a bit awkward. Maybe they didn't want to. The only thing I can think of for that one was they were wanting to let the audience know, hey, this is a false scare. You know, there's nothing really wrong here. Well, the other scene that I noticed that was missing music was in the hanging scene where Brendan Franger's character gets hung. Now, see, that I can kind of understand because 
there there's so much going on all the prisoners yelling and everything else and there's a lot of dialogue right then and there it, it, to me that was another instance where i i don't really think score should have been needed you know because there's there's like a little bit of score right when he gets freed and everything else and she's standing up looking at him like she's overpowering you know she's over she's got the power over him now and she's got that look and it, no it she does i mean because she she got him free so she's like you're mine now basically wink wink <laughs> yeah 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 a uh, little, little spoiler to the end of the film if you haven't seen it wink wink <laughs> No, but anyway, I noticed that there was a lack of score there as well. Um, but uh, throughout the rest of the movie, the score has rung true with what we heard uh, on the isolated score when we listened to it on right. Spotify. It seemed um, to, I mean, everything flowed into place and it elevated the parts that it needed to elevate. It brought down the parts that needed to bring down. Um, it did what it was supposed to do, I felt like. This score is one of those um, scores that's kind of hard for us to talk about because everything's good about it. I mean, there 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 is really nothing bad in the score. Listening to it on its own, there there was really no moments watching the film where there was it was overpowering or it brought you out of the film. So it was it's kind of like. <laughs> it's kind of one of those moments where this, where this is like, oh, the score was good. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was a very solid score. And even at the end, that major fight scene at the end, where you have, you know, he brought out Noxuna Moon back, and they were going to kill Evie. And he's got his, his priest, his he's mummy got priest. His priest, and, you know. Uh, and that's where we were talking about the score kind of gets a little... But there was a lot going on, because, you know, her brother was trying to, to read uh, from the book um, to... Uh, to take uh, Emotep's, you know, mortality. Uh, um, and they were, you know, Brendan Fraser's character was trying to, uh, you know, Rick, rather, was trying to, uh, you know, make sure that Evie doesn't get killed by Anoxuna Moon. And, you know, in the meantime, you've got Emotep trying to kill Rick. Right. You know, so you had all of this stuff going on. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I, I can kind of understand why the score, listening to it on its own, kind of got a little wonky toward the end. But with the film, it, it worked, it matched perfectly. Now, one of the things that I really liked about the score, listening to it on its own and with the film, was the, the low brass that he used. Yeah, and you know, everything that I've ever read about Goldsmith, because I, I hadn't listened to many of his scores by themselves uh, but anything that I've ever read about him, they said he is known for his use of rhythm and brass. All right. Which that's what I was talking about before. The you know, the majority of the scores, there's a lot of rhythm going on until towards the end where it kind of loses the rhythm, so to speak. But it it was I think at that moment that's where he's trying to match more the scene, not the story. So I got a fun fact for you. The scene with the hail. Mm-hmm. was done uh, with uh, painted dog food. <laughs> so they painted the dog food white, <laughs> and they started throwing it over the top of the cameras to make it look like it was falling. That is a lot of dog food there. <laughs> make it look like hail. <laughs> During one of the plague scenes. Did not know that. That's funny. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, that was the scene where they're they're running and there's like um, huge 
those like meteors coming out of the sky and they're crashing into the buildings. Everything's blowing up around them. And that's when you would see like this one guy standing in the foreground and he catches on fire and you see all this like hail coming around yeah. him. So it's not hail. It's painted white dog food. food. That's funny. I wonder what brand. <laughs> I don't know. They probably got old Roy or something real cheap. <laughs> Walmart. Oh whatever. man, I I hope they use a spray paint or something just to spray it on every fest. Because if they had to hand paint every single one of them, oh my goodness! Uh, what you do today? I painted dog food and and stack books. <laughs> stack books. <laughs> this is the worst movie ever. According to Jerry Goldsmith. <laughs> so the first part of the movie in the desert was uh, filmed in Morocco, and Brendan Fraser. Uh, in one of his interviews, they were talking about um, them alerting everybody about this particular snake. He said it was like a yellow snake with black spots or something like that. And they said, if you see the snake, avoid it at all cost, because uh, it was highly venomous. He said, and he went on a bathroom break, I guess, out in the desert. And he was standing there, and he looked down, and guess what was there? <laughs> the snake. That snake. <laughs> oh, man. He's like, uh-oh, we got to go. Well, another one of the things that you were telling me about was with Arnold Vosloo, who played the mummy, was when he first showed up for this uh, fitting, and he they put him in this G-string type thing, and nothing's fitting. He's like, uh-oh, we got a fat mummy here. Yeah, he said he liked beer a little too much, so he had a little, you know, pudgy belly, and so they had to put him on diet before they started <laughs> filming well, he, the movie. he got in shape for this movie, because, you know, that's what I, <laughs> with, the, with the whole fat mummy thing, that's what it kept popping in my head the whole time I'm watching the movie. And I'm looking at him like, man, he really got in shape for this movie. <laughs> well, they said that he, you know, he's like, you know, they gave me the diet food and I did the exercising and running around and he said and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and from what I've heard about him, I heard he's like a super nice guy, you know, fun to be around and everything else. Because I remember in um, another one of Stephen Summers' films, Odd Thomas, he played uh, one of the ghosts in there. And I can't remember what it was he did, but it was an odd Thomas. Yeah, it was. He was really brief moment, but it was like he like took his arm off or something and started waving at Anton Yelton's character. Something funny, and it's like completely, you know, nothing like the Mummy character. And Summer Summer said that he wanted to have Vosloo play a character like that because how he is in real life, how he, how much fun he is, how lighthearted this guy really is. That's wonderful. I, you know, um, watching the movie again after all these years, uh, I'm going to warn you guys, the effects have not stood the test oh, of time. Oh, man. There, there are so many Some scenes. Some of them are kind of bad. Uh, like, the, like the opening opening shot with the pyramid and everything, it still looks great. But when it gets to the title card, uh, it was just awful. Awful looking. I mean, I was like, I, was, I watched it. I'm like, oh, this looks like PlayStation. The mummy, yeah, the mummy's face in the sand kind of oh. looked kind of bad. But um, there, there were some moments uh, that still worked and everything else. And I think that was really my only problem with the mummy films. With the first two in particular, the graphic, the CGI was not the greatest. Well, you in know, the world. CGI was still in its infancy. You know, I still am old fashioned. I like, I like the old fashioned. Um, practical uh effects right if you can put a practical effect in a movie i'm all for it you know there's a a particular type of uh skill set um for that and even with the black and white films things were in black and white so in order to try to denote light and dark and uh what it took skill 
And so I like the practical effects. So, you know, we're, we're talking about a, a, a movie, a CGI movie uh, in its infancy. And, yeah, it has not stood the test of time at all. And now, the film was, I guess you could say, remade in 2017 with Tom Cruise. And that score was by Brian Tyler. Now, it has no, you know, correlation to the original mummy film except for there's a scene where they pick up the book i don't remember that scene in the movie i hadn't watched it uh in in a while i haven't i think i, I watched still it haven't once. seen it i still have not seen it yet now i have listened to the score for that and there was one thing i did notice that brian tyler used a lot more brass than what he normally does so i wonder if he was trying to pay homage to goldsmith a little he bit. may have you know because the mummy has been done so many times there was a you know the old black and white mummy and then Abbott Costello meet the mummy. I love that movie. It's a great and, movie. And then, you know, then you have this film here. And this one in particular became very iconic because of the the mixing of the genres. You know, when this movie came out, it made me want to study Egyptology a little bit more. And I bought the Book of the Dead to read. Um, the Necronomicon? No. <laughs> really? <laughs> This is my boomstick. <laughs> yes, I went there. I can't believe you went there. But no, I, I bought the, the Book of the Dead. So basically it was all, you know, a compilation of the papyruses uh, or papyri. I don't know what's plural. Uh, you know, for Egypt. The, right. You know, for Egypt. It, it, it's a thick book. I still have it. In you my must office. not read from the book. I love, yeah. Every time I open a book, I'll hear that. <laughs> you must not read from the book. So you know, as always, we always break it down to three different criteria. Does it work for the film? Absolutely. It, yeah. it, it. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I could not, ex, you know, expect any other type of score for this film. And I, I don't think, you know, I don't think any other composer could have pulled it off the way Jerry Goldsmith did. Yeah, I think it works perfectly for the film. Um, I couldn't imagine it done in any other way. Uh, I love the action uh, element to it and that uh, fast-paced feel because a lot of the movie was fast-paced. I like his use of voices in the uh, the score um, because it just added that element of creepiness to it. You know that you needed in those creepy parts. Uh, I like the uh, the crypt. Uh, part of the score um, because it kind of had that horror feel to it because, you know, it, it, it does have a horror base to it. Um, you know, I, I liked all of those elements and I think that he wove it together nicely to form a solid score for the film. So um, I agree. I think it works well. Yeah. Together. And I, you know, yeah, definitely. But and especially considering how much he did dislike the film and the score. Yes. That's and he pulled something off that was amazing. It was, it was incredible. Now, what, now we're going to get to, you know, favorite score, favorite scene. Uh, I have to go with when the crypt falls out of, you know, the base of Anubis. When it when it falls down, that, that creepy theme comes into place. It's not Imhotep's theme. It's just a creepy, I'm going to call it the sarcophagus theme because that's when the choir comes in and this low brass is playing and it's just it's just so eerie. And unlike everything else in the score, but yet it works well with the score. I, that was one of my favorite score pieces to listen to. I like the the scene. Uh, there's actually two scenes I like. The first one is the camel race. 
Or they're racing to Hominoptera on the camels. I love that. It was well done. And Sadly, that was one of the pe- one of the tracks that was not on Spotify. Yes. For some reason, it was grayed out. There's like somebody... Normally, when it does that on Spotify, there's like some kind of a rights issue. I don't know why, but... But it might be that it's the added piece for the deluxe version could as be. well. Could be. Um, but I, I like that piece uh, in the movie. I like the, the score piece. And then I also like the piece at the very beginning when they were at Hominoptera uh, battling. Okay, the, the Toreg attack. Yeah, I love was, that. That was, that was cool. great. Now, what could have been done better? Um, as I mentioned, I feel like they should have added just something at the beginning uh where her brother was tricking her uh in the library i it wanted i wanted to hear something there um even if it was subtle i wanted to hear something so i felt like that could have been done better that they could have put something there to kind of amp up that suspense just a little bit okay you know i I can i can kind of agree with you with that scene um there could have been something you know just there to kind of give you a little throw you off a little bit so yeah that but that's such a minor thing for the rest yeah, of the Yeah, it is. Score. It's really minor in the grand scheme of things. You know, the rest of the film, I didn't see anything that could have been done different or better. I, I mean, liked same it Same here. I, I, you know, from like I've been saying this entire time, from start to finish, it was fun. It was fantastic. Definitely listen to this if you haven't listened to it yet. Absolutely. If you haven't watched the film in a while, go back and watch it now. But, but kind of be warned that it's... Yeah, the, the graphics spe- aren't yeah, as good the as they used to be. The special effects have dated very poorly. <laughs> so, I mean, and one of the things when it came out, it was like a new Indiana Jones film, pretty much. It, it had that fun to it. Yeah, and that was some. Of, that was like one of the critiques I heard was the fact that, oh yeah, they're trying to redo Indiana Jones, but in my mind, they weren't. No, I didn't think at all Indiana now, Jones. If they were going to redo Indiana Jones, it, like the sequel, would have just been Rick O'Connell doing something different. They would have added Nazis in there <laughs> <laughs> and snakes. Nazis would be looking for and the snakes. mummy too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could actually see that happening. <laughs> I could see that. They would want the Book of the Dead. The Nazis would want to use it as some sort of, you know, secret weapon during World War II. Yeah. I, I just have to acknowledge something. The whole time I'm I'm talking, we have our little mascot Thomas just staring me down with the sleepiest eyes ever, and Leslie's having to hold him while she's recording <laughs> but he's just like eyeballing me like please shut up so i can go to sleep he's uh, our little four pound yorkie yep well i'm go- we're gonna let you go to sleep in a little bit buddy <laughs> so as as always you can find us on social media we're on facebook twitter instagram we're trying to always constantly update um on Twitter, I'm going to have it where you can find the links to where we're at on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, um, iHeartRadio, Classic FM, YouTube. You can click, find us, subscribe on there. You can also f- contact us on all of our social media platforms. Or you can just send us an email at measuringthescore at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We've got some suggestions coming up for Season 2. Um, also we've got something kind of planned for later in the year that it's going to be kind of fun. It's going to happen around October, November, December. It, it, it's going to be kind of, kind of interesting. Um, but it will only be one, one episode per month for those bonus episodes, but they may be a little bit longer than normal. So that just kind of 
plug that now to kind of get you guys a little excited for it. So it should be interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that a little bit. I know you are. Yeah, just, just <laughs> a little bit. There, there's reasons why and we'll get to that. But yeah, as always, thank you so much for listening. For Measuring the Score, I'm Chris Lott. And I'm Leslie Lott. Have a good one. Hey everyone, before we completely close this episode out, I want to give a quick shout out to Sean, Andrew, and Sam over at Cheap Seat Reviews. They were awesome enough to have us on for the Ready Player One episode. Those guys were a ton of fun, and also they have a lot of great, hilarious content. Well over 300 episodes. That is insane to even think about. I mean, seriously, but they are a ton of fun. Also, I want to give a quick shout out to Mark and Joe over at the Digital Dissection Podcast. We were a part of their Firefly Week, starting with Jesse and Ricky of Sudden But Inevitable Rewatch Podcast, which is a Firefly podcast. Then you got us in the middle where we talk about the scores for Firefly and Serenity, and you guessed it, we measured the scores to see if they work or not. Also, Sean from Cheap Seat ended the whole thing up with Serenity ton of fun all those podcasts are great friends of this podcast so make sure you go give them some ratings some reviews and when you do tell them we sent you as always for measuring the score i'm chris have a good one